Welcome to the MacArthur Memorial Podcast. Located in Norfolk, Virginia, the MacArthur Memorial is a museum and research center dedicated to the life and legacy of General of the Army Douglas MacArthur. The memorial is also dedicated to preserving and presenting the story of the millions of men and women who served with General MacArthur. Each month, the staff of the memorial will use this podcast to explore topics relating to General MacArthur and his times. In March 1951, Lieutenant General Matthew B. Ridgway's United States 8th Army and attached United Nations forces launched Operation Ripper, clearing Communist Chinese and North Korean forces out of South Korea and recapturing the capital city of Seoul. Only a few months earlier, Communist China had entered the Korean War with 300,000 troops, inflicting a major defeat on Allied forces that were in the process of unifying Korea under a United Nations mandate, pushing them back into South Korea and threatening to drive them off the Korean Peninsula. Ridgway's victory provided an opportunity. The United States and its allies could once again drive across the 38th parallel and invade North Korea, or they could approach the Chinese government in hopes of obtaining a political settlement, ending the conflict in Korea. President Harry S. Truman, Allied leaders, and representatives at the United Nations opted to approach the Chinese to reach a settlement. General of the Army Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Commander of the Allied Powers in Japan and Commander-in-Chief of the United Nations Forces in Korea, however, was not going to let that happen. The relief of General MacArthur by President Truman took place 60 years ago this month. This month's podcast reviews the final events that led President Truman to end General MacArthur's 52-year career of military service to the United States. Douglas MacArthur had made up his mind on what should be done about Communist China. He believed their unannounced entrance into the Korean War had been the action of a rogue nation. Their willingness to sacrifice hundreds of thousands of their soldiers against superior firepower without remorse was nothing less than fanatical. In Red China, MacArthur saw the full menace he believed communism was, and that unless stopped, they would be a threat for generations to come. In a statement issued on February 21, 1951, MacArthur said the following, Communism has challenged the forces of freedom on the battlefields of Asia. Here the issue is drawn, and the predatory communist adventures must be decisively defeated. Otherwise, all of Asia will fall to communism, and with it, communism will gain all of the requirements to the building of a war-making potential without parallel in history, a war-making potential to point at the heart of Europe and America. Our people must awaken to the reality of this threat and resist complacent thinking that Asia is a long ways off. Asia, consolidated under the rule of those who seek to subjugate the world, poses a threat at the very doorstep of every American home. MacArthur, therefore, wanted to destroy Communist China's war-making potential by the use of a naval blockade, air and naval bombardment of its industrial centers, and the use of Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist Chinese forces both in Korea and on the Chinese mainland. The Truman administration and allied leaders felt differently. They wanted the war limited to Korea and feared escalation of the conflict on MacArthur's terms would lead to World War III with not only the Communist Chinese but the Soviet Union as well. Throughout the Korean conflict, 
the worry of a Soviet thrust into Western Europe while engaged in a war in Asia was constant. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General of the Army Omar Bradley, stated a war in Asia was considered the wrong war at the wrong place at the wrong time. Truman's decision to enter the Korean War with the United Nations was based on the desire to not let another country fall to communist aggression. After MacArthur's stunning victory at Incheon in September of 1950, however, the Truman administration, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and the United Nations were all for an advance into North Korea and the unification of the Korean Peninsula under a freely elected government. Once the Chinese entered the fray, however, they just wanted the war to be over. The ejection of communist forces from South Korea in March 1951 was seen as the first opportunity to bargain from a position of strength, or at least equilibrium, on the battlefield. The JCS informed MacArthur on 21 March that the President was going to make a settlement offer to the Chinese. MacArthur responded saying no more restrictions should be put on his command in Korea. Then he said no more to them. Three days later, General MacArthur was at Tokyo's Haneda Air Base on his way to visit General Ridgway at the front in Korea. Before boarding the plane, he delivered a press release stating that the Chinese forces had been soundly defeated. Their vaunted military power revealed as hollow, and they faced complete destruction. It was a provocative statement designed to wound Chinese pride. It was also designed to sabotage any hopes for Chinese acceptance of a call for negotiations. Douglas MacArthur was convinced the Truman administration and Allied leaders were about to yield the island of Formosa, which the United States was protecting from communist attack, and offered the communist Chinese a seat in the United Nations in return for peace in Korea. He saw the move as nothing more than rewarding international lawlessness and appeasement. Whether such was the case or not, MacArthur's statement ended any hopes for negotiations with the Chinese and created a foreign relations debacle for Truman. MacArthur denied that his statement was meant to do any such thing, but after his relief he gave a speech in Miami, Florida, before the American Legion, and admitted the sabotage was intentional. President Truman was livid at MacArthur's statement. He scrapped his plans for an approach to the Chinese and had the JCS remind the general of the gag order of 6 December 1950. After the Chinese invasion of North Korea in October-November 1950, MacArthur was pilloried by the United States press for the fate that befell the UN forces occupying North Korea. He deserved the criticism, but so did the White House, the JCS, and the State Department. They had all seen the signs that the Chinese were going to intervene in the Korean War, and they had all ignored it because victory had been so close. When everything fell apart, however, MacArthur went to the press, extremely critical of the powers controlling him. Telling his side of the story, he said he was being restricted in what he could do to stave off the Chinese. The gag order of 6 December was sent out to all U.S. commanders, but it was aimed at Douglas MacArthur to keep him from speaking out on U.S. policy without first submitting his words for approval. MacArthur's statement of 24 March definitely violated the order, and a reprimand was sent to Tokyo on the 25th. It wasn't the first time MacArthur had violated the gag order. It had only been two weeks since MacArthur's March 7th statement to the press. MacArthur concluded there was no longer a policy for winning the war. He felt the war had become one of attrition until the Chinese and North Koreans were willing to negotiate with no pursuit of victory, and he saw that as nothing less than murder. In his 7 March statement, it was clear MacArthur saw the Korean War as a die for Thai war. The 24 March statement wasn't the first rift in the MacArthur-Truman relationship. 
It was just one in a series of many conflicts over divergent viewpoints between the general and the president. President Truman made up his mind. He could no longer work with General MacArthur. To his great embarrassment, all the Allied leaders were questioning Truman's control of his Far Eastern general. Was there a new policy, they asked? Was there to be no peace feeler, as the general statement was so at odds with such a move? Was MacArthur setting policy in Tokyo? Truman began meeting with the members of the JCS, the State Department, his advisors, and Secretary of Defense George C. Marshall about the fate of General MacArthur. Many opinions were voiced. The general should remain as head of the occupation of Japan, be relieved of his command in Korea. He should be brought home to Washington for conferences. The events of 5 April 1951, however, made Truman's course of action very clear. Before the JCS informed MacArthur about Truman's diplomatic efforts, the general was in correspondence with Republican Congressman Joe Martin. Martin was a vocal critic of the Truman administration and an advocate for the use of Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist forces on Formosa in the war with Communist China. Like MacArthur, he pushed for their use in Korea and in an invasion of the Chinese mainland. In early March 1951, Congressman Martin sent a letter to Tokyo expressing his views. MacArthur sent a letter in response on 20 March. Unbeknownst to MacArthur, Martin read the contents of the letter on the floor of the House of Representatives on 5 April. MacArthur's letter stated the following. My views and recommendations with respect to the situation created by Red Chinese entry into the war against us in Korea have been submitted to Washington in most complete detail. Generally, these views are well known and clearly understood as they follow the conventional pattern of meeting force with maximum counterforce as we have never failed to do in the past. Your view with respect to the utilization of the Chinese forces on Formosa is in conflict with neither logic nor this tradition. It seems strangely difficult for some to realize that here in Asia is where the communist conspirators have elected to make their play for global conquest, and that we have joined the issue thus raised on the battlefield, that here we fight Europe's war with arms, while the diplomats there still fight it with words, that if we lose the war to communism in Asia, the fall of Europe is inevitable. Win it, and Europe most probably would avoid war, and yet preserve freedom. As you point out, we must win. There is no substitute for victory. Martin's reading of MacArthur's letter sealed the fate of the general. Truman felt MacArthur was no longer confining his disagreements with the administration to the military realm, but had now become political. The debate was over, and General MacArthur would be ordered to immediately turn over his commands to Lieutenant General Ridgway. An order of relief for the general and a statement for release to the press was prepared. The general was being relieved for not being in sympathy with the policies of the United States government, not for insubordination on the battlefield. The order would be delivered personally by Secretary of the Army Frank Pace, who was going on tour of Japan and Korea, and the statement released shortly after. The press, however, had already picked up on the story and the Chicago Tribune was going to scoop the president and print the story on the morning of April 11th. Discovering the Tribune's intent, the announcement of MacArthur's firing was released to the press at one in the morning on April 11th. The question was, would Pace be able to deliver the order of relief to MacArthur before the news reached Tokyo? MacArthur had a sense that he might be relieved of command. On 9 April, Lieutenant General Edward N. Allman, commander of the 10th Corps in Korea, came to visit MacArthur in Tokyo before heading back to Korea. 
MacArthur told Allman he might not see him again. The president believed he had become politically involved in the debate over the war and he might be replaced. Allman was incredulous, but MacArthur had met with Secretary of the Army Pace that morning, the 9th of April, two days before the relief was announced. Though we don't know the contents of the discussion of the meeting, Pace perhaps told MacArthur how much the statement of March 24th and the reading of the Martin letter had infuriated the president. On the afternoon of April 11, 1951, Douglas MacArthur and his wife Jean were hosting a luncheon at the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo for visiting Democratic Senator Warren Magnuson and a vice president of Northwest Airlines. During the lunch, an aide told Mrs. MacArthur that news from America had been heard over the radio, saying the general had been relieved of his commands. Pace had not been able to reach the general before the news. He was in Korea and could not make it back to Japan in time. Jean went to the general and whispered in his ear. He stopped in the middle of his talk to Magnuson, and then after a few seconds turned to his wife and said, Jeannie, we're going home at last. President Truman and Douglas MacArthur had been at odds with each other long before March 1951. There had been a clash of wills and personalities between them since August 1945, almost from the day Truman chose MacArthur to accept the Japanese surrender and oversee their occupation following World War II. It was during the prosecution of the Korean War, however, that their extremely divergent viewpoints on U.S. foreign policy toward communist and nationalist China brought them into sharp conflict with each other and ultimately ended MacArthur's career. The events of late March and early April 1951 were just the final acts in their official drama. But the Truman-MacArthur controversy would carry on for many years. It has been the defining moment in the American tradition of the civilian control of the military. After two more years of bloody stalemate warfare in Korea, an armistice was signed in 1953. The fighting ended, South Korea preserved, and World War III avoided. President Truman and the United Nations sought to end the Korean War by negotiation and limited war rather than total military commitment. And though Truman wasn't president when it happened, this is what was eventually achieved. As MacArthur feared, none of the issues the war was fought over were solved. The Korean War did not end. There is an armistice, and not only has North Korea threatened war for decades, but it has now begun testing nuclear weapons. Communist China still threatens to take back Formosa, now Taiwan, by force, and as MacArthur predicted, has become the military colossus of Asia. Thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing this dialogue with you. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please feel free to contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.